From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Alrighty then, thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, your camper, RV, your taxi, your cabin in the woods. So however and wherever you're listening, thank you for your fine company. Diane Tessman, the former state section director for Florida MUFON, uh, who's also a contactee and published author, is standing by. We'll get to her very shortly. Uh, let me mention next week on the uh, program, Carl Gallops uh, will be back with us. He joined us briefly a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but he's going to be on once again to talk end times, the persecution of the church, and uh, much more. And Carl uh, is, of course, the author of Final Warning, Understanding the Trumpet Day's Rev- Revelation. He'll be joining me on stage along with L.A. Marzuli, author of the Nephilim Trilogy. Uh, L.A. is also quite a, a filmmaker. And um, so Carl and L.A. Marzuli will be on uh, the stage with me for an event called As in the Days of Noah. This is a special live event. It's happening Wednesday, November the 4th at the University of Toronto's Oise Auditorium, right on Bloor Street. So for more information, go to strangeplanet.ca, click on the live events page, strangeplanet.ca, click on the live events page. Uh, All the info is there. Tickets on sale now through Conspiracy Culture. Just give our good friends Patrick and Kadena a call at 416-916-1696. 416-916-1696. As in the days of Noah. All right. Uh, last week, I think it was last week, wasn't it, Albert? We had Nick Redfern on. Was that last week? Yes. Uh, and he was uh, here, and he talked about his new book, uh, Bloodline of the Gods, which is really an interesting idea. Uh, I mean, this is an idea that's been kicked around for quite a while, but he sort of uh, picked up on it and expounded on it. And um, this has to do with the fact that a fairly small percentage of the world's population, uh, something like 10%, I think, are missing the RH protein marker in their blood. In other words, they're RH negative. Uh, so if we humans, in fact, evolved from the rhesus monkey, as Darwin would have us believe, and I'm not uh, certainly convinced of that, but uh, if that's the case, then we should all have, one would think, all of us inhabitants, we should all have the RH marker. But we don't. What about that other 10 to 15% that are RH negative? So then this theory is that they may contain some evidence of some sort of genetic manipulation on the part of the ancient gods who were extraterrestrials. Uh, and uh, this is interesting because there seems to be a connection, I'm told, with the RH-negative blood type and people who claim to have been abducted by aliens. Like they're coming back to check on this ongoing experiment. They're only interested in the RH-negative. Um, so I want to put that question to my next guest. And I, mind you, I have a lot more questions, but that's certainly one of them. And I'm, I'm so pleased uh, she's here. Diane Tessman has counseled abductees and uh, contactees for over 30 years. She draws on her own experiences in childhood as well as the ongoing contact throughout her life. Uh, Tybus, or Tibus, uh, whom she encountered in her childhood experiences. And Diane uh, shares consciousness, and uh, uh, rather Tibus and Diane share a consciousness, uh, and so she can offer unique help to star seeds and other contactees over the years. Thousands of people have turned to Tybus for guidance. Diane's encounters totally changed her life, and she has no regrets, she says. She has physical evidence from those encounters, which is undeniable. 
the certainty that we are not alone has motivated Diane for many years. While teaching school for 11 years, Diane was state section director for Florida MUFON in the late 1970s and also a field investigator for the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization, APRO. In 1980, Diane underwent hypnotic regression with Dr. Leo Sprinkle and remembered one of several childhood encounters with a being named Tybus. One encounter was aboard what appeared to be a starship. Another encounter was in a cabin on Eagle Lake, Ontario. Hmm. A membrane was taken from Diane on one of those encounters. Diane's teaching experience lasted five years, first grade in the U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, and six years English as a second language, and first grade in St. Petersburg, Florida. After moving to California, Diane began a monthly newsletter called the Star Network Heartline. This monthly newsletter is still thriving and has many of the original subscribers. In 1990, Diane began the Change Times Quarterly while living in Amsterdam. Both of these newsletters are available in uh, e-form from her website, uh, which I've linked up to at uh, strangeplanet.ca. We've, uh, uh, yes, we've linked up there. Just go to the uh, radio page for the Conspiracy Show and it's on the homepage. Uh, anyway, that's quite uh, an impressive resume. Let's uh, get Diane Tessman in here. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you, Diane? Oh, I'm fine, and I'm pleased to be here. Well, thank you. Or there. <laughs> <laughs> here, there, and everywhere. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. All right, let me uh, let me go back to uh, last week's conversation with Nick Redfern. Do you know Nick, by the way? Uh, yes, I know. I don't know him personally. I've been aware of him for many years, yeah. All right, this whole RH negative uh, marker in 10 to 15%, uh, perhaps evidence of some genetic... Uh, manipulation from extraterrestrials and uh first of all let me ask you is there because you are a a contactee or an abductee you've you've counseled many of them is there any connection between this rh negative marker and contactees and abductees there seems to be um throughout the years various interesting things that might be unique with people that have had encounters um, but none of them I, can go right across the board and, so that we can say, oh, that's it. Um, with the RH negative, I'm not. I've looked into other things about myself, um, which sound kind of conceited, and I don't mean them that way, but um, I was born to two older parents in their 40s, and Mom had been told uh, she couldn't <clears throat> conceive um, another child. She had had uh, my brother many years earlier, 10 years earlier. Um, she had uh, ovarian cyst surgery, and the doctors told her, well, you probably won't have another child. And uh, I came along 10 months later. Okay, those things, wonderful things happen like that. Um, I've looked into the fact that uh, uh, quite a few uh, abductees or contactees um, I've known are left-handed and red-haired. <laughs> um, hmm. And I've seen, I know Chris Holly looked into <clears throat> the fact that um, perhaps Irish Americans were abducted, and I actually debated that with Chris because um, I, I don't like to say that one group is sort of special um, when we really don't know <clears throat> because uh, there's many abductions and experiences, for instance, in South America, and those people are darker for the most part. So it, it's a really tricky area. 
um, I, I know that I'm missing a membrane from my encounter. There's no other explanation uh, from my main, what I call my main encounter, that I remembered a bit consciously throughout my entire life, but I finally went to Dr. Sprinkle in 1980 to be regressed for the details, and I got a lot of details. Um, All right, so, well, let's, let's delve into that. Diane Tessman with us, uh, who is a... Uh, has counseled abductees and contactees, and she is, uh, would you classify yourself as an abductee or a contactee? Well, I, I guess an abductee, but I call it an encounter because it was positive to me, although it must have had some scary aspects, but I remember no fear. <laughs> so I guess uh, experiencer is the new term. All right. Okay, um, so take us back to take us back to nine. Than, uh, contact, it's not just spiritual; it sure. was physical. All right, take us back to 1980, and you went to see. Uh, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about who is Dr. R. Leo Sprinkle. He's really well regarded uh, in ufology. He's uh, currently on the board of directors for uh, Edgar Mitchell's group Free, uh, which is the foundation for research into extraterrestrial encounters, and I'll be working with them as well. Um, so I'm really thrilled about that. Um, it's just getting off the ground. There was an earlier free, but it's being reborn, more or less, and okay. it's going to be Edgar Mitchell's, have his name on it now, and uh, he's going to be really involved in it. What were the circumstances that led you to finally undergo this hypnotic regression with Dr. Sprinkle in 1980, 35 years ago. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm no spring chicken. <laughs> this, my my uh, abductions were actually in the golden age of UFO abductions in the 50s, 1952. I'm 68, <clears throat> and I'm sounding like it with a frog in my throat. Um, so uh, I was I went on into life. I taught school. In my uh, youth, in my twenties, and uh, but I always and I was state section director for MUFON and uh, with APRO. But I always knew it was a personal thing with me, um, something very soulful and deep, and it really gnawed at me. So I wrote to Dr. Sprinkle and flew out to Wyoming. He was professor at University of Wyoming. He gave me a battery of psychological tests and discovered I'm not nuts. And invited me to be regressed. All right, listen, I'm going to jump in right here. Uh, Diane, excuse the intrusion, but we, uh, we have to take a break. We'll do just that, come back and continue to discuss uh, your regression and uh, what was discovered uh, during that regression. Diane Tessman is with us, and we are talking about her abduction case, her experience. The former state section director of Florida MUFON is here with me on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Diane Tessman. She has counseled abductees and contactees for over 30 years, and she's telling us about the under, the, uh, the hypnotic regression she underwent uh, with Dr. Leo Sprinkle uh, back in 1980. So you made the trip out to uh, Wyoming... Yes, and, and he um, you went under went, you underwent a battery of tests, and he, so he determined that you were not, in your words, nuts. <laughs> nuts, yes, that was a relief. Um, let me just tell you uh, what motivated 
uh, the final thing that motivated me to go to Dr. Sprinkle was this missing membrane. Um, it's, you know, along the line of symmetry of your upper lip, uh, there's a membrane that connects your inside of your lip with your gums. Right. Well, uh, mine's missing. And it took me a while to figure out that it was missing because you don't miss what you don't have. Um, I had seen, since the time I started uh, playing around with makeup, about age nine, I had noticed a slight scar on the outside, which a, uh, I went to a plastic surgeon around 1980 as well just to ask him, and he said it looked like a laser scar. But that was before I discovered the inside of the, was actually what was done, and the membrane's just totally gone. So I, my parents were very doting parents, very involved, so I wasn't running around losing membranes that they didn't know about. And I asked if perhaps I had a slight birth defect or maybe a dentist did it because um, I, it was going to bother the, my, te- my adult teeth when they came in. They said no, nothing like they didn't know. And uh, uh, Mom would have been happy to sort of burst my UFO balloon because she didn't believe in any of that crap. So, right, right. Um, but they were truly puzzled by it. So, um, you know, I was asking myself, well, what can you use a membrane for? Well, of course, cloning. Um, and the mouth is the best nourished part of the body so it would be the tissue there would be good for cloning but um there are several books on ufo healings by uh, preston dennett and so i started to wonder if maybe i was somehow saved by my by my membrane um when i was four which is when these encounters happened i was really thin and i had tonsillitis strep throat several times had a lot of heavy nosebleeds so today you would take your child to be treated uh, to be tested for childhood leukemia with those that's the uh, the signals to for that but I was never tested well okay then switch forward to 2015 um there's a new procedure that cancer doctors use they take a tissue sample and reengineer it uh for improved antibodies and put it back in the patient's body this is used fairly uh, more and more these days, and this has been successfully tried with cases of childhood leukemia, I have read. So, of course, advanced beings would probably know of this method, and I have no proof that this good reason was, was why the membrane was taken, but I do know that by age five, I was full of energy and was very healthy, and I became a gymnast and took ballet and, you know, was just full of energy. So for myself personally, I do pretty much believe that perhaps it was taken to help me. Now, maybe they kept it for <laughs> for cloning too. But anyway, that is the catalyst that took me to Dr. Sprinkle. And so, okay, um, now your memories of, of an abduction uh, at age four... Yeah. Was that coming to you in like flashes, uh, or would, did that come out during the regression? I always had conscious memories of it, but only very like snapshots of it. And what I remembered was this guide, this being um, who was very human-like, but not quite human. We sat in this main encounter. I remembered sitting maybe a foot away from him. 
He had amber, deep amber-colored eyes that were almost translucent, that you would not, they were just different from any human I'd ever seen. But other than that, he was human. Um, he told me they were, he was from the future, my future. Um, and you can believe that or not. Um, uh, time travel, anyway, we can get into that later. It might be more possible than we've been led to believe. But uh, that was what I remembered, was sitting looking at this. Um, he had rather like Travis Walton's golden humans because there was a golden effect because his skin was fairly dark, sort of olive-colored and sort of reddish tawny hair. So everything about him was kind of amber. <laughs> hmm. um, and that's what I remembered. But under regression, I remembered things like the two smaller beings that took me in something like what I called the Tilt-A-Whirl because a carnival had just been to our small Iowa town, and I loved the Tilt-A-Whirl. And then there I was in this probably scout craft, I guess you'd call it, and it was pretty cramped and kind of uh, shaped like a tilt-a-whirl car. And they were not human. At least one was a, a very small humanoid. The other gave me an insect-like in, impression, but I was never fearful of them. They never interacted with me. So things like that I remembered under regression. And when did the, the, the uh, those snapshot images do you remember when you started to remember those, prior to 1980? I mean. They were always with me from the time um, that I can remember, which is about age four. Um, maybe I can remember back to three. I'm not sure. I think I had a one-man band at age three. But, uh, no, since the time that this would have happened, it, they've always been with me, those Conscious okay. memories. All right. And then the, these, you started to connect some of the dots under the regression. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, and so do you, do you remember being actually t taken aboard under the regression? Did you remember ta being taken aboard this vessel? I don't remember going through an airlock to be taken aboard, but I was aboard a very big thing that was practically beyond my comprehension. Um, but it was this area where we, I think it was telepathy, but I'll say where we talked, me and this guide, um, was uh, uh, an earth-like bench and um, a, a few plants, and across the corridor there was a swirling pastel sort of hologram. I don't know if it was just decoration or if it was meant to calm me, um, because I was very calm throughout this. In fact, I felt that I was home. Um, I didn't even want to leave, <laughs> and I was also very worried about my guide, that he was giving me something that he would then be missing, um, and this is where the shared consciousness comes in. Um, I don't call, uh, I've channeled for many years, I've written newsletters with messages from Tybus, but it's, channeling has never suited me. It it's better described as just kind of a shared consciousness. So Tybus is the name of this amber-eyed uh, yeah. human humanoid <laughs> yeah. that uh, uh -huh. you met. All right. And and when did the when did the shared consciousness? Uh, the, I guess could we call it telepathy? We can. Sure. Okay. When uh -huh. did that start? Well, I assume it started then because. Um, 
I was always terribly from from there on. But see, I was four, so you don't really three. You're not really free on your own to go into nature. But I was always extremely from from let's say four onward, extremely empathetic with animals and nature. And I had a, a comprehension for a for a child that any contact with anything unknown, as as Leonard Nimoy said, would be have enormous implications. I I had a grasp on advanced life that wasn't known by most people, and so I was kind of a an introverted, strange little kid, very very smart, but uh, actually bullied, because <laughs> I was just different, and I think that probably started quite a bit after these encounters. I'm not sure that would have happened um, if I had just gone on being the child of my parents, uh, both of whom were pretty well earth-bound. Earth, uh, they were just kind of traditional people. Right. So did you mention, uh, did the Tybus come up in conversation? With my parents? Correct. I, no, I, uh, my parents, my mom was bipolar, my dad was a nice alcoholic, so they were, <laughs> they were always a arguing. Nice, a nice alcoholic. They were college educated people, nice mm-hmm. individuals, mm-hmm. but they were so wrapped up in each other's problems that I was a very self-contained child, I maybe almost autistic, and I just went my way. I went outside um, as long as we lived on the farm where the contact had taken place or originated from. Um, so I never discussed it. I mean, Mom didn't even believe in ghosts. They were sort of poo-pooed <laughs> as being ignorant or, or right. something like that. So I did have uh, invisible presences um, after that. When I was outdoors, I called them the remembers, and um, they were just there. And I don't, they weren't even invisible playmates. They were just with me when I was outside, which was kind of weird. All right. So, Tybus, um, what, what sorts of things was he telling you, uh, when you were four, five, six years old and so forth? What sort of communications, what was the content of these communications? I guess I've always been, even then, I was being sort of educated in, um, everything from, um, I don't know as I'd say astrophysics as far as the equations, but I've done a lot of, um, writing throughout the years on, on, uh, theories of consciousness and, uh, quantum theories, but minus the equations. I always state I'm certainly not a physicist, but I've done a lot of, been really nudged to do a lot of research on consciousness and uh, things like that, um, quantum physics. Did you keep a diary when you were young? Did you keep no, a record? No, I, I didn't. No. Hmm. Do you regret that? Um, no, not so much when I was young, but I've had a lot of weird things happen in my adulthood that I wished I had kept a diary of. When I was young, I think things were just so natural. I kind of feel like maybe I could phase in and out uh, without any uh, uh, division line between. So maybe I didn't feel a need to to write them down, but I've had a lot of uh, just weird little things happen that you tend to forget over the years. Did Tybus ever appear to you? Has he ever appeared to you again, or has it just been uh, through telepathy? There was one other time, and I don't know if it happened before or after this 1952 
incident uh, encounter. Um, what I did find out, um, well, the other time was at the Canadian cabin. My parents uh, went up there for a brief vacation, like one day, to Eagle Lake, Ontario. And I don't know why they just left me in the cabin, but they did. And I remember this same being walking into the cabin with dark glasses on, Maybe the sun hurt his eyes. I don't know. I mean, maybe there was a, some sort of a, a difference with what he was used to. Um, but he had on a red checkered shirt and jeans. And I've talked with several people who feel they've had experience with future humans. And it seems that they also saw somebody with a red checkered shirt and jeans, almost as if their computer spits out the the right uniform for uh, 19th, you know, uh, 19-whatever, 52. Um, but uh, he came in the door. He put the dark glasses up on his head, and he says, Diane, do you remember me? And I said, yes. I was holding my little golden book. Um, it, little golden books were a series of children's books. It happened to be the one on not fearing the unknown. It was called Poison the Attic. And I was holding that, and, you know, I can see myself through his eyes on that mem conscious memory. I've always had this memory. I was looking at myself with long red bra braids, a little girl with um, seersucker shorts and just a little top on. He said, um, are you afraid? And I said, no, because I knew him. And he was always very almost reticent or... Um, uh, wise, but, but hesitant. Um, anyway, and, uh, that's all I remember of that. Did but he... I know it was the same. Right. Uh, same guy. And in the first encounter, or what you believe was the first encounter, he mentioned that he was, or he told you he was from your future. He did. Did he yeah. ever affix a date? Where, what time frame was he visiting from? Well, unfortunately, he didn't say, <laughs> but, um, you know, I've done a lot of research. I've written articles, and uh, in fact, it's in my book, UFO Agenda on Time Travel. And I, I believe that, okay, we're coming up to the singularity in uh, Time Magazine, Guest 2045, somewhere in there, where, we, where computers will equal our intelligence. Right. And from then on, we either need to um be on top of the computer or they're going to be on top of us sure so, stephen hawking has warned us about this yes yes it's a huge subject and most people don't really deal with it or think about it um so okay you figure let's say we live through this and we use the computer connect um the artificial intelligence which computers nanobots will offer us for the positive um so then there will be quantum computers as well, and they're just incredible. So eventually, we're going to have a formula for time travel. When you think of how quickly we've come in technology sure. since even 2000. Yeah, Moore's Law. It's all about Moore's Law. Listen, uh, Diane, I have to take a time out. And okay, we'll come back all right, and we'll, I'll uh, hold it. <laughs> we'll continue to talk about time travel, Tybus, and... Um, the alien abduction phenomena. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Thanks for hanging out. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, Diane Tessman is here. The website is earthchangepredictions.com. Earth 
changepredictions.com and um, we'll, we'll run down uh, some of the uh, the ten uh, predictions that have proved to be accurate that came to you via Tybus, I presume. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Um, let me, a, a couple of quick questions regarding time travel. Uh, and you can disabuse me of this notion because I, I may be totally out in left field. But one would um, presume that if you created a time travel device, let's say today, uh, in the future, you could only travel back as far as a time when you turned that, tri- that, that time travel machine on. Is that is right? That, right. So that would then suggest that time travel was created in the 1950s. <laughs> right. Okay. But I don't think that a time travel device is probably what it is. I think if you could take quantum calculations or or advanced computer calculations, and there was a way, you know, there was a film called um, Source Code. People who made the film said they actually checked with the military, and they are working on something similar. I'm sure that the military isn't doing what the film did, but in the film, a, a uh, dying helicopter pilot was hooked up to a computer and was able to go to try and stop a terrorist as a physical person, and yet he was hooked up back at the uh, laboratory. So quantum science is so crazy, and I don't aim to just give it as an excuse for every crazy idea, but I think there might be a way to drill down with uh, the help of quantum computers through time, we figure ETs come through space, through a huge, vast amount of space, and there's all sorts of explanations on how they might do that fairly quickly. But we've got space solved when we deal with time travelers because we're all in the same space. So the space you occupy, at one point, there are cavemen there, and for them it's now, and for you it's now, and for... The pioneers that came in between the settlers, it's now. So if you could drill down into time, I think it might be more of a matter of something other than the old-fashioned time machine that can't go back beyond the point where it was (laughs) invented or whatever, or also those old grandfather clauses where... You can't go back into time because you might accidentally kill your grandfather, then you wouldn't exist. The paradox, I think those right. are almost uh, urban legends or sort of bugaboos about time travel. Right, right, the paradox. Yeah. All right. Well, Andrew Bashego, who's been on the program, Project Pegasus, I don't know if you followed his career, but he would, I mean, he's talked about time travel at least going back to the early 1970s, so who, who knows? Now, let's get to these predictions that came to you through your communications with Tybus, correct? Yes, I do have some new predictions that I could make, but go, go ahead with the uh, ones on my website. Okay, well, here's one that's, that's quite interesting, uh, and that is, and this was mentioned in your book, The Earth Changes Bible, uh, which was published about 20 years ago. Yeah. This one obviously hasn't come to fruition, but you predicted the unraveling of the United States in the 21st century with political divisions becoming so poisonous as to cause some regions to take steps toward forming their own countries. Yes. 
Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. I'll say. Well, we're, you could argue we're seeing the seeds of that. I know that in Colorado, for example, there is an attempt. I think someone's trying to put it on the ballot uh, for a referendum to to split Colorado in half. And of course, t- Texas and some yes. of these other red states are constantly agitating, you know, for states' rights and and wanting to split from the union. So. Um, interesting. I mean, uh, who, who, who knows? What else can yeah, you tell we, us about that? We predicted superstorms before they really took hold, and and now there are certainly seems like more tornadoes, larger, um, even the larger drought, just a larger um, earth climate problems than were around when we predicted them. But I always say about my predictions, and by my, I mean Titus too, we don't really try to pull a rabbit out of the hat and say, oh, um, Neptune is going to be knocked out of orbit tomorrow, and, um, you know, it'll fly off into the cosmos. Ours are based in logic. I've never um, pretended to be a psychic exactly. Um, to me, it's logical that if... Uh, there's a problem in 1995 with uh, ocean pollution that it's going to grow worse if we don't do something about it. So right, you did you did predict the breakup of the Larsen Ice Shelf uh, yeah, that was predicted yeah. in 1984, and that happened when? Uh, it's what fairly recently it totally broke up. I think. Okay. All right. We'll we'll uh, run some more through more of these uh, with Diane Tessman and her. Uh, telepathic communications with a time traveler named Tybus, and we'll uh, continue to discuss other aspects of the alien abduction contactee phenomenon. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. All right. We've got um, one more tilt here with uh, Diane Tessman. Spiritual counselor. Uh, again, the website earthchangepredictions.com. Um, okay, so let's talk about some of the uh, the other, the more recent predictions uh, that um, I guess they're, they're on the website. Uh, they're not on the website ah, yet. Okay. My webmaster is suffering from congestive heart failure. Oh but dear. She's she's going. She's still still kicking. Um, she's my lifelong friend for over 33 years and we used to chase aliens together she's an experiencer so i haven't asked her to put these on the website um she's real busy in this particular season with uh, ren fairs renaissance fairs so anyway they're not on the website yet but they need to be okay so share a couple of those with us if you could okay the prediction number one the pope who everybody was so impressed with he's the I'm not a uh, huge Pope person, but I thought he was just amazing. Um, the Pope wishes to announce disclosure. He wishes to be the one to do it. And certainly he's in the best position because he's not political. He has reached something in us that is rather basic and loving that's kind of been trampled on by current society. His motivations are sincere within the paradigm of his Catholic faith, However, this puts Pope Francis in even larger danger. Pope Francis is a pope with huge historical significance. He has ET contact and guidance. The ETs realize they must take an individual at the level he or she is at. 
Pope Francis is more enlightened than any pope for a long time, and he can think outside the strict papal mindset, and so is easily worked with. And is there a time frame for Pope Francis uh, uh, disclosing? Oh, you know, I always am so hopeful about disclosure, and I guess everybody else is too, and then it never quite comes about. There's that uh, Mars uh, conference with NASA tomorrow morning, um, possibly announcing, well, who knows? I don't think it's going to be announcing advanced alien life, uh, probably water of yes, some sort on Mars is my guess. Yes, I agree. I think it's going to be about water on Mars. But that's a huge, I mean, water is life as as we know it. Now, well, it's, an, it's a possible too, ingredient. It's an ingredient. That's not in our in our world mm-hmm. so all right so uh, but, but uh, again a time frame for the pope uh because he has indicated himself that he doesn't see himself as a long-term pope well his his vatican astronomy department is certainly open to et existence and is, is seems to be uh guiding him in that direction so i really feel that and titus does too that a, a disclosure should happen what, within the next year? I really hope so. Maybe that's hope more than prediction. Uh, but, but Tybus doesn't give you uh, time frames. No, Tybus isn't good at exact dates, and that's both a pro and con, because so many uh, people that channel or are psychic have given dates for various things. In fact, even as we speak, I believe the 28th and 29th were supposed to be a time for ascend, uh, ascension, and we're st- <laughs> we're still here, but we never predicted that. So, um, people, a lot of uh, people choose specific dates, and nothing comes about. And uh, the same with the asteroid that was supposed to hit Earth on September 23rd. Titus said, "No, it's not going to." So he's never said, "Yes, it's coming immediately." And it has, but the the proof is it hasn't come. But, <laughs> so it's kind of a mind game, I guess. Well, yeah, because if I were a time traveler, uh, and let's say I was, let's say in 1954, I appeared to you and I came from the future, I could mm. tell you with 100% certainty who the the, the Brooklyn Dodgers were going to win the World right. Series in 1955, and then the Yankees in 56, and then the Milwaukee Braves in 57. Uh, and then the right. Yankees again in 58, and the Dodgers again in 59, and on and on. I could be very precise. Why well, is, why is he being so coy? I believe a non-interference directive, and ah, maybe that okay. sounds like Star Trek, and I am the first to admit I adore original Star Trek. I'm with you on that. But I think there is a non-interference directive, and specific information can't be given, and there are many alternate timelines, and maybe, you know, that gets into being an excuse. But... Uh, it also seems to be solid quantum physics. So um, he contacted me as he was supposed to, and the shared consciousness happened. And I am not given knowledge of, you know, the next moment of the future. I don't pretend to. But I think I have some kind of contribution to our human species, I guess, is is the best I can put it, to sort of nudge, nudge us forward as they are trying to do, whoever they is, um, to nudge us forward into the next step of evolution, which is a step in consciousness 
So maybe we'll be Homo Cosmos instead of Homo Sapiens. I don't think Sapiens is the end of it. Uh, now, does each contactee or experiencer have a sort of a, a guide or a handler? Does everyone have their own sort of individual Tybus, or does Tybus handle other contactees? And have you, uh, in your experience in counseling contactees, ever encountered uh, another contactee who also identified Tybus as their handler? No, I haven't, and that's kind of weird. Um, I do think many contactees are given a, a star guardian is sort of a an emotional way to put it or a spiritual way to put it, but not every one. Um, it seems to vary from my experience. Um, some uh, just identify immediately and say, oh, my star guardian has brilliant blue eyes instead of golden eyes. And they, But then others are, are, don't have that connection at all, and yet they were abducted. Uh, what about the time traveler aspect? Have other contactees uh, made it known to you that their guide had uh, proclaimed him or herself to be a time traveler? Uh, yes. Um, a number have felt that future humans feels like home to them, perhaps more than other people that feel that some sort of rather exotic alien, of course, <laughs> The the uh, small fetuses could well be us from maybe a million years in the future, given a bit of nuclear contamination and and uh, time. We seem to be going that direction rather than the hairy ape direction. So even the small fetus aliens, in fact, I believe there's uh, some. Uh, I don't think it's fact, but rumor that the small um, one of the uh, a Roswell or a J Rod alien from all of that stuff back in the fifties murmured as he died. He said, "I'm human." <laughs> so, oh, I, I'm not familiar with that story, and I'm not familiar with the small fetus alien. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, that? Well, I guess I'm talking about the the small greys. When ah, you okay. think of it, they look like a fetus. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's what. Uh, yeah. All right, that's fascinating. So, the uh, I mean, the alien agenda, your your um, your book. I mean, it's such a it's such a riddle wrapped in a in a mystery. I mean, there are so many different facets. I mean, we could talk about. Uh, I mean, your your very positive experience, where perhaps they saved you from leukemia, but then how do we? reconcile that with uh, other encounters which are not very positive. In fact, people are essentially, I mean, describing a medical, a torturous medical experiment. Uh, I mean, obviously a very negative experience. How do you reconcile the two? Uh, I can't reconcile them, but I have a few ideas. Uh, one was that the 50s and 60s encounters were much friendlier and open on the part of the aliens. I don't know if that was a different group or some change in policy, but by the, the 80s and 90s, the abductions got uh, very scary. Um, so, you know, whether there was a government campaign, I won't blame the government for everything, but when humans are so fearful, it's kind of hard to cut through what was real and what wasn't or what was exaggerated i mean and then and then it's how you take it afterwards because you can be a victim 
And, and I know there's that mentality and, and await the alien invasion and go, oh, I was so mistreated. Or you can make lemonade out of a lemon and look into consciousness and, and the cosmos and do what so many um, abductees have done from Travis Walton, the Allagash uh, abductees, several of them, and uh, Jim Penniston and John Burroughs. All are into sort of metaphysical, quantum physics, you know, reaching further. How does this make sense? So to some degree, it's what you make of it. To some degree, it seemed to change between the 50s, 60s, and then the 80s, 90s. And, you know, I, that's the best I can do on that. Um, even, you know, I don't want to necessarily equate abductions to rape cases, but even even that, women need to, or men if they're raped, need to fight back and not just accept the alien, the victim uh, mentality, because that's not good for them. You, you need to realize, you know, this happened to you, look into it, and but some people tend to dwell in it. What do you make of uh, Dr. David Jacobs, a retired professor at Temple University, Oh, uh, and, and I his... don't know. I don't know what to make of of his work. Um, I can only know that what's in me is what is in Tibus, because I know that we have a, a shared consciousness, a link that has never left, and so I can only be who and what I am, which is what I see in him, which is uh, someone of intelligence, gentleness, and wishing to help us. How often are uh, without you without too much interference? Okay. How often are you in contact with Tybus? I whenever I do whenever I write like the book, my newsletters that I do uh, so often every I've done them since 1983 actually without uh, missing a a month. Um, um, the line keeps hiccuping, so I lost my my line of thought. Yeah, we've had that trouble er, er, earlier. I, I'm not sure what's happening. Um, however, um, we'll so on. anyway, that's uh, I can only go by by what I've experienced, and maybe I was lucky and I hit some really nice aliens. I don't know. I I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I I'm very passionate about what I've discovered out of all these years. And what would your uh advice be to someone who suspects, although they have no confirmation, suspects that they may have or they may be an experiencer, uh, would you suggest to them that they go uh, undergo a regression? Uh, or in some cases, uh, let's say they have sort of negative images, uh, little flashes of this memory. Is it better to let sleeping dogs lie? Probably not, but um, certainly it shouldn't interfere with uh, daily life and taking care of children and going to the job and things like that. Um, when it feels right, it's probably explore it. And the best way would be through a regression? Uh, well, you have to go to a, a really good uh, understanding hypnotist, which Dr. Sprinkle was, uh, but uh, he's retired, and it's kind of hard to find a, hypnot- a medical hypnotist 
who's trained, who really is open to uh, UFOs and aliens. Well, so, you'd be surprised. I mean, the, the regression therapy field is really just growing by leaps and bounds. It's almost gotten to the point where it's become mainstream. Uh, right here in Toronto, I could probably uh, name three or four just off the top mm-hmm. of my head. But um, All right, listen, we are uh, sadly out of time, Diane. I enjoyed meeting you. I enjoyed our conversation, and I, I hope we'll too. do it again. Okay. Okay. Uh, Earth Change Predictions... Dot com is the website. Uh, my thanks to Ian Robertson, uh, Albert Vinzel, back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. Carl Gallops will be here, as in the days of Noah, coming Wednesday, November the 4th. Check it out at the live events page, strangeplanet.ca. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.